John Favreau actually attributes his success to the game Dungeons and Dragons. Really? Yeah, there was an interview where he was like, Dungeons and Dragons is why I'm here. Wizards of the Coast should just plaster that right over the all of their books. Oh, absolutely. Hi, everybody. I'm Paxton Farrar. And I'm Peter Lansdahl. So the whole nation is being swept up in the Mandalorian fever right now. And that absolutely includes us. It's a, it's a really good show. It's, it's been a while since yeah. I've had a show where I can, like, I'm excited to sit down and watch it every week. Yeah, Disney really, uh, you know, they needed uh, this killer app to launch Disney+. And man, did they deliver, you know. They they broke glass on the John Favreau who's the he's the guy who gave you Iron Man one and the MCU and uh, Jungle Book and yeah he continues to shine. Star Wars is good again. <laughs> yeah, Star Wars is good again. Of course, not everybody loves the show, and I've seen people online complaining about you know how the story is too simplistic, the main character is one dimensional, the plot is too linear, um, but The Mandalorian is going to get analyzed by a million. Uh, YouTube analysis channels and podcasts. So we're actually going to do something different because this is a D&D show. That's right, Paxton. We're going to break down the scenes to these individual little tools that we can use as dungeon masters to create better games because the show feels like I'm watching Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, so one of the main ways that it's like Dungeons and Dragons is that it is always with the Mandalorian, the main character. They never really cut away from him, which is you know pretty unusual in modern TV and, and movies. But you, uh, you stick with him the whole time, and that's very similar to D&D, where you never really cut away. The DM doesn't cut away to a couple of NPCs having a conversation. So in that way, The Mandalorian is unusual for TV, but very similar to D&D. The other part that really resonates with me is this the scene structure how they structure every scene feels like dungeons and dragons there's always this explanation exposition description followed by the reaction by the mandalorian it mirrors my experience at the table where you have the dm describing the scene to the players and the players are allowed a reaction given a problem solution and that you see that all the time in the show so we have this analog for uh, writer-director is the DM slash GM, and the Mandalorian is the player. And so we're going to analyze uh, the f- so we're gonna analyze some scenes from The Mandalorian, which means we're going to spoil the shit out of it. So if you haven't seen The Mandalorian, now is the time to stop. Yeah, go see the show. Yeah, please do come back to this show, though. Ple- or if you, yeah. Please come back. I have a filmmaking degree. You're an expert in D&D. Let's see what what insights we can bring to this show. Let's talk about how the show starts, Paxton. Okay. I really like how it starts because it's like a classic bar scene. All, all D&D campaigns start in a bar, but it's done well. It's done with purpose. This is a good example of in medias res, which is the Latin phrase that is almost as well known as deus ex machina, but it means uh, in the midst of things. So it's when you start a story in the middle. You know, think about like any James Bond film. 
they don't start with him going to M and M going, we ought to, you know, Bond, we have a mission for you. It's, he's on another maybe related, maybe unrelated mission, but he's doing something. He's infiltrating a base. He's uh, tracking a target down, whatever it happens to be. And uh, it's a really useful trick. Um, and we use it a lot of the time in our show. In fact, I think when we, when we don't use it, we usually regret it. But, you know, you think about our Paladins campaign, Smite Club, uh, is starts with they're on a mission to find witches and they go to a bar where things go down and Mandalorian starts very similar. It's something that you should always do with your session one. If you've played a game or start tried to start a game and it felt like no one was really into it by the end, this could be why. No one wants to sit at the table and play a game where you have to find out what to do. Just start doing something. Right, yeah. In Medias Res, excellent tool. And in the case of the Mandalorian, it's that he's a bounty hunter, and he has a what do they call them? Targets? Uh, the little puck? No. It's kind of like a no, uh, no, no. What do they what do they call the people? Do they just call them a bounty? Uh, yeah, the target, the bounty, target, bounty. That's a, yeah. yeah, that sounds right. Sure. Yeah. So that so uh, he's he's after this this blue guy, and he comes to the bar, and the blue guy is getting roughed up by uh, local red shirts. And he gets to, you know, it's pretty cliche. He beats him up and, you know, gets the guy. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty standard scene. It's not that, you know, unpredictable or edgy, but it gets the show going. And these in-media rest things, they don't have to be complicated. We're talking about you should start an action. Let's give a couple of simple actions that you can start your campaign with, yeah. right? Yeah, sure. You're all starting on a job. That job could be protecting a guy you know killing a goblin hunting a person um getting a cat out of a tree get, yeah it could be getting a cat out of a tree we've hired three adventurers to get this cat out of a tree it doesn't have to be exciting it doesn't have to be complicated but it has to be something so that you can get that story momentum you can get going and you don't have to waste so much time with the setup you can just get into the story the one thing i want to mention about his bounty is it's this blue alien and he's very talkative and he's you know kind of he's kind of a kiss ass so he's trying to you know oh you know uh hey you know i could just uh you know i could just you know uh give you a bunch of money or you know you you hey i like your ship you know and the 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 thing that this is this is not a a big overarching story tool but having an npc that is talkative has its own motives but is controlled uh, within the world by the player, not literally controlled at the table, but subservient to the player, is a really useful device. So if you have you know, a sword with a genie in it or a prisoner you have to transport, you know, that's, a good, that's a good tool for the DM. You can have them ask questions, answer questions, discover things. It's, uh, it's a good tool to have. So our hero, the Mandalorian, obviously captures his bounty target and cuffs him and then starts to head back. And he goes up to this sweet-looking, I don't know, what would you call him, this, this, this whistler, this flute player, to get a ride. I mean, it's the, it's that, it's the species, uh, whatever Star Wars species, for the guy who was the spy in A New Hope, the little, like, sh- like shriveled weasel. Oh, yeah. It's like a, like a weasel prune. It's that guy. Yeah. Okay. It's a, what's that species? Sweet reference. Yeah, exactly. He's basically a valet. Mm-hmm. A speeder is called, but it's not the right speeder. It's it's a bad speeder because it has a droid at the cockpit. 
we get the first piece of the Mandalorian's backstory when he says, no droids. Has to pay a little extra money to get that human pilot. And this is a great example of a bad character trait done well. You've all been at the table. We've all been at the table and we've seen this like, I don't like X. I don't like orcs. I don't like whatever. Yeah, my character is defined by a traumatic past event which causes me to hate a specific race or profession or whatever in this D&D fantasy world. There is a tendency to try and force that dislike of something into every situation. Yeah, the Mandalorian's character is another parallel for D&D because usually when you start a campaign, your character is pretty blank. Even if you've thought of a lot of things like their backstory, their likes, their dislikes, even if you filled out the whole, the whole character sheet, most of that's going to not matter in the campaign because you'll build the character through the choices that they make. That's right. Starting a new character is like wearing a new pair of shoes. The first time you put them on, they feel a little awkward. You're not sure how it's supposed to fit. But after wearing them for a while, you get comfortable and you can do more with them. So let's talk about the next important scene. And that is when the Mandalorian steps into the bar and meets his contact with the Bounty Hunter Guild. Right, so he's got his quarries. That's the word we were looking for. Oh, quarry, quarries. that's the one, yeah. Yeah, of course it. So he's got his quarries, and, you know, he captured you know four or five people, and he's going to go turn them in to get the money back from somebody he has a relationship with already. And it's Carl Weathers. Yeah. Oh, he, he did such a great job. All right, so, Peter... What is the big important thing in this scene? It is the illusion of choice and obvious plot hooks. So mm. when the Mandalorian sits down with uh, Grief Karga, the bounty contact. Right, Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers. He gives us an option of all these bounties to take. But there's a problem with most of them. A lot of them don't pay enough. But there is one bounty which does pay enough and pays well. So we're given multiple choices, but one is the obvious plot hook that we should take. And this is this is a time when, like, as a DM, you don't really want to give the party a choice. The adventure is clearly in this direction, but you want to make it feel, or at least narratively seem, like there is a choice to be made. Absolutely. Good game mastering, dungeon mastering, is an art of deception. I remember, I remember uh, one trick Morgan told me about when I was, was first learning how to DM. Uh, and he said, give the party, like they're on the road, they come to a fork in the road, there's a left and a right, and whatever direction they choose, they end up at the town you want them to be in. But they feel yeah. like they directed it. Whatever choice they make, it is towards the story, but they feel, the, they feel like they had the agency and they may brought the story about. Absolutely. It's how you can make railroading not feel like railroading because it's, it's the worst thing to do when you give them one option. It makes them feel locked in. Right. And so even just by giving this illusion of an option, get, lets them have fun. Let's them think that they're the one driving the story when you, the GM, you're the one driving the story. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, so big job. Obviously, you take the job. Take obviously, the, the Mandalorian job. takes a the job. Obviously, take the job. It's, it's a collaborative story, right? The GM should be giving sweet offers, and the player should be picking them up. So the next part of the story, we have this key to start the next bounty contract. 
and we have this. And you mean like a literal key? Yeah. yeah you mean that yeah. like a, a literal a literal key that the that the broker gives mm-hmm. the Mandalorian? Uh, you you are given an item to move on to the next part. Uh, that's a simple thing, but giving someone something is like a good way of kind of forcing the next step right it's like a business card right, right? you feel more obligated right. to do the thing now that you have a physical object okay so the very next scene is also important to us which is going to this mysterious client who's got the big high paying job and the thing to take away from this scene is using set description to add more story because when he actually gets to the Imperial hideout, it shows you what's changed because the Empire is like hiding in this back room in like an alley. Everything's dingy. Uh, there's stormtroopers, but their armor's all beat up. You know, it, it tells a story with the visuals because functionally the scene is pretty much the same as the previous scene. It's just about getting your big job, your big quest. Yeah, this is a this scene is a great replacement to just a chapter in a settings book. Right? Like if this were a game and the director, the GM, they could have handed out a sheet of everything going on with Star Wars right now with like a whole chapter of what's going on with the empire. They could have done that, but it's way better to do it in scene with cool set descriptions. Yeah, and yeah, and the and the, and the descriptions, you know, they make it obvious that it's Empire. You know, there's the Stormtroopers. Uh, Werner Herzog has a necklace with the Imperial symbol. And he's going to pay the Mandalorian in the Beskar steel, which has, you know, their ing- not ingots. What's the ingots are raw? What's the, it's like gold bars, but they have the Imperial stamp on it. And that's, you know, obviously Nazi gold and stuff. And another thing that this, this scene does that I think is just a good tip for GMs is... It makes the, you know, the player feel badass because this, you know, this mysterious client, this powerful Werner Herzog type figure keeps saying things like, you know, uh, you know, your reputation precedes you. They said you were the best in the parsec. They said you were very expensive. And unless you're playing the kind of campaign where the point is you start at the very, very bottom rung, it's cool to make your players feel like they're badasses. And it gets them to come back. I play D&D to feel cool right. and fun and to feel great. You want your right. players I to thought feel you meant like come. <laughs> I thought you meant like come back to, to the client to where oh. I'm sorry. Because it's like, that guy likes me. Yeah. He thinks I'm a badass. He thinks I'm cool. I'll finish the job. Nah, I mean. I'll finish this job. If you're a GM and if you're talking down to your players, they're not going to want to come back. But if you tell them that they're great heroes and saviors of the realm and super badass they'll probably want to come back to hear more of that. So the next important thing is the Mandalorian gets a little armor upgrade, which is just a really cool way to do payment. Yeah. You know, so he gets paid in this, in this, you know, Beskar steel that's, you know, attached to the Mandalorians culturally. It's, you know, they made it, I guess, or something, but it's in, you know, he turns it, he turns his little down payment into like a new shoulder pad. Yeah. That's way better than gold if you give your players gold you're giving them an accounting task and a chore mm-hmm. of shopping right which you know sometimes it can be fun to go shopping but 
usually only when there's magic items. Yeah, involved. it's it's. I, I find it boring. It's incredibly boring because every time I want to buy something, it's like, all right, mm-hmm. let's do a whole scene of you at the market. What do you want? It's like, right. I just want to buy more armor. Right. <laughs> Stop, please. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's better to better to pay him an armor. It's personalized. You know, it's got narrative. Uh, it's got narrative importance to it. Um, you know, they talk about oh, this was taken during the great you know the great purge, so the metal was stolen from his people, and that's you know that's a good way to get you know not putting not front loading the entire story and having it come out later. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you front load your entire story, people will forget. Got to drip it to them, little little mm-hmm. easy to digest IV. and rememberable chunks. The narrative ivy. Yeah, there you go. So he gets the armor upgrade. We are off to a planet, and that's where we meet our guide NPC. Guide NPCs are great because if you ever are sitting at the table and your players don't know what to do and they're just doing random stuff, a guide NPC is Mm -hmm. perfect for them. Right, and we're obviously we're obviously talking about the little old alien man that saves the Mandalorian from the big like fish lizard monsters. Like he he basically lands on the planet and then just gets like a forced defeat from the you know from the story. So it's like a forced uh, defeat by the dungeon master. And yeah, and then we have our guide NPC. He's the one that's able to tell the Mandalorian about what's going on with the planet. He's able to tell them tell him how you get to the bounty and what he needs to do to get there. Mm-hmm. Pretty much yeah. de- defining the next arc of the story so that the players know exactly what they need to do. What I, what I liked is that he had motivation as well, where it was he was interested in bringing peace to the valley and getting one of the fish lizard monsters, which is uh, called Blurgs. An NPC can be interested in things that aren't at a cost to the player and aren't money. Money is the most boring. Mm-hmm. And it's write that down. It, it's so believable too. Of course, he wants peace brought to his area. He just wants to be left alone. That peasant wants the lich out of his, you know, field. And the the other thing about this guy that I, I thought was interesting was that he says, "I have spoken." Like that's sort of his his catchphrase. Is he'll say, you know, I I will help you in your quest. I have spoken. And it sort of closes the conversation. And I thought that was really clever because the, you, you have presented the players with a choice. And it's a good way to keep things from running on and on and on. Now that you mention it, it reminds me of a tool. Ending mm. scenes. Because you could right. just do a back and forth with like the player and the NPC for ages, and you're just thinking, let's move this thing forward. No, NPC says, mm-hmm. I, have smoke, I have spoken. Boom, scene is over. What are you doing next? Yeah, well, next, he's, he's learning to ride the, the fish lizard, Blurg, so he can g- actually get to where he's going. Another trick there, neat trick, just jump to the next thing. Yeah, it's a great trick. It's something that you don't see very often in these games because we think of good Dungeons & Dragons as like a linear adventure. We need to narrate every single yeah. minute of our day can't skip over anything. We think of it being continuous. Yes, we yeah. think of it as continuous. Because you're literally in the moment. Yeah, you should yeah. think of it more as a story, right? And stories only yeah. have the important stuff. So he learns, the old guy helps him learn how to ride this thing, and that allows him to get to 
the the base where he needs to be, where he's he's tracking his big quarry. Um, the only thing I want to mention in here is there is one shot that sort of stood out to me, where they're riding across this landscape, and the landscape. Uh, looks from from high above like a dry lake bed, you know, with like the cr you know you have the cracked kind of scaly look of the mud, but it's it's huge. It's scaled up so that each square is you know hundreds of feet across, and the the cracks in between are canyons. And I thought you know that's that's great because you know all it's really easy to describe, and that's a really good way to do interesting landscapes is to take something else that everyone knows, you know, a texture or, you know, a location or whatever from the real world and say, it's like this, but it's huge, but it's, you know, on fire, but it's upside down. And that's a really good way to, you know, easily have everybody on the same page with what the environment is like. That's a really good point. It's Dungeons and Dragons is an imagination game. If everyone at the table is able to imagine the same thing, they're on the same page and you're going to make a better story. So base your mm -hmm. base your descriptions with something in reality or right. be a good artist and draw a lot. Okay, so uh, next thing to talk about is the climax of episode one and the, the, the storming the base. There's a lot to digest with this next scene. It's It's got a lot of stuff in it. It's a big encounter scene. Right, it's a big fight. This is combat. Mm -hmm. We're now in combat. And one of the coolest things that they do is before the Mandalorian is able to plan something, a new element is introduced. He's on the ridge, and a bounty hunting droid jumps in and starts the combat. So he's unable to plan, and he has to jump straight in. Right. His cover is blown, and now you're thinking on your feet. Yeah, and that's something, that that's the first tool to learn from this scene, is you can force action through introducing new elements, because sitting at the table and planning an entire encounter is not as fun as just doing the encounter. Right, yeah, and that's something I, I like to do, is, you know, if the party is stalling or doesn't know what to do, you have you have something happen anyways while they're waiting. Then the, the situation is going to progress without them. Yep, exactly. And then now that we're in the combat, lots of stuff happens. We introduce a new side NPC, mm, yeah. this IG-88 combat droid. And he has a great dynamic Love with it. the Mandalorian. Totally. Because they're, they're sort of enemies, but they, they have a reason to team up. Yeah. Because they're being shot at. Or they're rivals, I yeah, guess. They're rivals. Even though the Mandalorian hates droids, he's still able to work with this one. A couple of things I think are, are good about this uh, this droid, just from a, a aesthetic perspective, is the way it moves is really weird and distinct. It's like very inhuman, and uh, it reminded me to more often describe how characters move in D and D because that can be something that sticks in players heads and allows them to see things more clearly on uh, the battlefield or you know just in you know exploration if you say yeah this this <laughs> this thing moves like you know like it doesn't i don't know how would you say the robot moves it moves it's like efficiently uh, right yeah. it, it moves like a robot would i i guess there's some there's some that's it's unique even for a robot i think yeah it kind of i mean it really is but yeah you're right sort of rigidly the way things Very move rigid is a huge descriptive tool that should be used more often. A whole lot more important than, you know, what clothes they're wearing. Because you'll probably remember yeah. them moving in a weird way. Much more than they have a gray cloak with a blue trim. Well, I mean, also d and is kind of like dreams, right? It's like, you, do, you know, you don't remember all the details. It's not a complete image that's rendered in your mind. Yeah, you get the ones that, are, the ones that matter. Right. Right, right, right. 
So we have this huge and combat. Yeah. They're fighting. They're blasting back and forth, and they're trying to get inside. Tons of bad guys who are basically goblins. Yep, it's basically a goblin fortress. They don't talk. They don't matter. You just They're just there to die. There's no explanation why they're there. They're just guarding the MacGuffin somewhere out in the wilderness. And we have the Mandalorian try and pick a lock. And this is the first time we see something that happens all the time in the show that makes it very Dungeons & Dragons for me. It's failure, right? He tries to pick the lock. He does some little things with the wires. They spark. He doesn't get in. And this is Mm -hmm. just like Dungeons & Dragons. You know, you roll a d20. Failure is always on the table. And if they fail, they can't, they, you cannot go back on it. Right. Yeah. That's the proper way to play. Right. And that also, that is dynamic because then, you know, the, when the droid says, oh, we're trapped, I must initiate self-destruct. Now you've cause that failure to lead to yet another ticking clock quite literally you have another device to add uh, tension and drama but the cool thing about the droids having about the droid having its uh, self-destruct sequence is that the mandalorian can then talk him out of it he can say no don't blow yourself up do this instead and that i thought was really cool because it's a it's a game mechanic that's driven by social interaction. In the, or this obviously it's a story mechanic in the show, but in D and D, it's always fun when there's something like that—a character you have to talk out of something, or you know, uh, a cat you have to woo, or something that's not just like a straight up like I cast X spell or I I I use X tool. It's a way to uh, reward creativity because if they say something, you know, really really convincing then as the dm you can just be like yeah i'll give that to you you don't you don't have to roll for that it's also another way of making the combat more interesting not only does he have to fight all the goblins in the fortress he has to fight the the droid's willingness to kill itself right because because he's trapped in the same place where if the droid blows up it's going to blow him up as well multiple elements and i think this that's probably the big takeaway from this is this particular fight is that make combat dynamic don't just final fantasy it where you they line up their guys you line up you know yours then you just trade off blasts until the other guy drops and to ensure that doesn't happen they introduce a new set piece to just end the combat immediately. You're talking about the big gun, right? I'm talking about the big gun, right? They could have easily just had him like shoot each one individually, but like that combat would take a long time, and that on the show would take a long time. So they give you a oh, quick yeah. exit button. Yeah, no, the the gun is great because it, it it rolls up and it becomes apparent that it's going to destroy the thing they're hiding behind. So. Now they have to move, so you've added, added, so another dynamic change, and then it allows the Mandalorian, you know, he gets control of it, and then is able to take everybody out in a big, cool, uh, dramatic moment, instead of, as you said, you know, hunting every goblin down. Mm -hmm. Because that's sort of a, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot of times in Dungeons and Dragons where you have you have the combat has peaked. You have passed the interesting part of the combat, the part where everybody's having fun. And 
the default is to just let it play out until, you know, it's like, it's like finishing a game of like fucking monopoly or something. <laughs> and that's the wrong thing to do. And I will fully say that I've done that many times before, but the better thing to do is to somehow get the combat over, whether that's the remaining baddies get scared and run away, or they say, we propose a truce or you give them a set piece like this big gun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, if you are looking at glazed over eyes, during combat give give them a way out but the combat's finished we got our way out our set piece to destroy it we see the closed door they need a way in and they use the same set piece to break into the door right so that that gun has been used three times now in 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 a narrative way it was it was going to blow their cover away then they were able to use it to in the fight quickly and then they're able to use it to open the door very successful and then when they open the door, we're near the end of the episode. What do they find, Paxton? Uh, they find everyone's favorite new Star Wars character, Baby Yoda, the big plot MacGuffin, who I find it pretty funny that um, Baby Yoda, the big plot MacGuffin, is is being basically held by goblins. Like, it is, Any... it is pretty funny. It's a goblin held by goblins. <laughs> yeah. We're finally at Baby Yoda, and we can start busting those memes out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty, that's pretty much episode one. You know, he, uh, he, he, uh, he kills the droid so that the droid doesn't kill baby Yoda. You know, that's, that's sort of the first little character decision to not, you know, not just be a bounty hunter. And it's, Um, it's another one of those false decisions, kind of like before with the pucks where it's like, you could let the droid do it, but like, who, who would do that? Well, also, Werner Herzog, Imperial Imperial Man, said that you'll get paid less. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. He's like he's like bring it back alive, but for a lower fee, you can bring it back dead. Oh, so yeah. there's already a reason for maybe it is not altruistic that the Mandalorian killed this droid. Mm, mm-hmm. But you know, so that's episode one. Right into episode two. We're doing the, like the first three episodes, I think, today. They're, they're, That's right. They're, yeah. like a, they're like a first act. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's yeah. its first they own like little first mini act. story. This first scene is one that I really like because it's a simple combat encounter, right? You're just in the canyon mm-hmm. with the, the baby Yoda and you're attacked by bounty hunters. But then at the end, yeah. we got a little fob, a little blinking fob that bounces out of uh, one of the right, bounty the tracking hunters. Fob. Yeah, a little tracking fob. It's a great way of like threat projection or foreshadowing without any dialogue right somebody else somebody else has the tracking fob somebody else is tracking baby yoda they're vulnerable yeah it's it's kind of telling the player and the audience that there are more threats that will come after this baby yoda right yeah and it's just you know it's good to give your players uh, a sign Mm -hmm. of something like that you know also i just want to make a, a little you know, this isn't this isn't D and D, but I want to make a little plug for some editing witchcraft that they did in that scene. Watch that scene and count how many baddies there are, and how many baddies he takes out before the scene is over. Because the math doesn't add up, but the emotions do. What is it? Is it editing witchcraft? Is it what four guys and he takes out three? No, three guys and he takes out one. Oh, you're right. He disintegrates one of them, yeah. and then the other guys just kind of are gone. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we can presume he like killed them afterwards, yeah. but doesn't matter. But for that moment, the feeling, yeah, all you, what you needed was that feeling mm-hmm. of the cold open, and they got that, and they moved on. I thought that was brilliant. But he returns to his ship, 
ready to leave, but there's a problem. He's found Jawas tearing apart his ship. I think this is a great example of a huge tool that I use all the time. I call it big goal, little goal. This happens all the time in the show. Uh, You have to do a little quest in order to continue on in your big quest. Uh, We saw it very early in chapter one, the monster on the ice. Before he can leave the planet, he needs to stop the monster from eating a ship. Before he can go off across the desert, he needs to learn to ride the blurg. And for this one, before he can get off the planet, he needs to fix his ship. Oh yeah, that's it's like that's the bread and butter, not just of tabletop RPGs, but you know, more pickers and you know, just regular RPGs. Right. Yeah, because it's like at most you should be having two goals. You should have a big goal and a little goal. Your big goal being mm-hmm. and what you want to do. Right, like the big goal of the quest. Yes, the big quest. Destroy, destroy the one ring. Right, the and it should be made up of a bunch of little goals. Right, I want right. to roadblocks. Basically, yeah, yeah. I want to return the baby Yoda. Well, first you have to uh, get the parts back from your ship, and then you do a bunch of little tiny things. The most important part about all of this is that all those little goals need to somehow supersede that big goal to have you do the little goal to get to the big goal. Does that make sense, Paxton? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, absolutely. The little goal is fully standing in the way of the big goal because they've, you know, stripped his ship and now he can't fly back and return Baby Yoda and get all get paid in you know a bunch of armor metal this is the classic like in a in an rpg video game it would be like you know i can i can you know give you the map but first i need you to go and collect three stray cows for me oh yeah that's the classic world of warcraft yeah you can defeat the great evil but collect 10 mushrooms first those aren't really too great because they're more video gamey those aren't narratively motivated. Collecting three mushrooms for you know the warlord aren't is not narratively motivated. Right. When, but this this is yeah, and it's it's very important when you're doing these tabletop role playing games because they do have the capability of saying, "I don't want to do that. I'm moving on." And like a good DM, they allow the player to indulge in first instincts and try and take down the Jawa rolling fortress, and of course it's futile. But, you know, you let them try and, you know, you get a cool rope climbing mechanic and a cool battle. But, you know, they were not going to let the Mandalorian succeed at that because that would not have been as narratively interesting. It's a lot more fun to have your players do something and fail than for them to not do anything at all. Right. Or even just, you know, storm a second base that day. Mm hmm. Yeah. One thing also about this, this scene that I thought was a good uh, mechanic was they have baby Yoda's in like that, like floating egg crib. And it follows the Mandalorian, so he's able to climb up the the he's able to try and climb up the Jawa, you know, rolling fortress. And Baby Yoda is not left behind on a dune somewhere. He, he just follows him, and he's there, and he's he's safe. So that I thought was a good mechanic. And then it's like, is there going to be a problem created when this floating uh, baby carriage is not around anymore? It's like uh, it's like self-driving baby carriage. So he fails to take on the crawler, of course, and he's left to only one option, and that is he returns the guide NPC. And this is what makes a good guide NPC. They're able to help the players when they are unable to do something. And with the guide, we get to the next part of the Jawa arc. 
and we had already yeah. seen that you cannot just fight the Jawas. Their, fort- their roaming fortress is indestructible. So you're left to one thing, and that is to try and negotiate with them. Yeah, and I thought that uh, in the scene where he comes up to bargain with the Jawas, the little detail of, you know, there's a group of them s- sitting by the crawler, but as you know as he's rolling up a bunch more pop their heads out of the windows so little details like that indicate that you can't just like storm the ones that are on the ground and then go in and get his stuff you know and these are the sort of things that you know that that'd be really easy to forget as a dm but when you do remember things like that it it makes it a lot clearer to your players what the rules of the current scene are yeah you're communicating threat projection Right, you're saying to the player. Yeah, that's right. Threat. That's what. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. Threat. Mm-hmm. You're saying to the player without directly saying it that if you try to fight, you probably will not win. Boring to it's, say yeah, it, you can't do it, but it's much better to show you shouldn't do it. This is this is the this is the big deception thing again with with being DM. There could be any number of Jawas in that in that crawler. You could have there be however many Jawas you need. Exactly. The most important part is you have to communicate that it's too many so we have this little interaction with the jawas and i think it's it's great it's a awesome little rp interaction it feels right from the table and the end result is this bargaining we get another little goal big goal in the egg yeah another little goal yeah so now now we've we've gone too deep this is in this is goal inception here now he's got to get the egg to get his parts back to get back to baby yoda or sorry, to get Baby Yoda back to the bounty, mm-hmm. the bounty uh, payers, the clients. Get it back to the client. Yeah, yeah. Take take Baby Yoda to you know the slaughterhouse. Mm-hmm. And it's very clear communication. You get your players doing what you want because you communicate what needs to be done. Okay, and there's one thing I want to talk about on the way to the egg, the egg quest. You know, this show does travel really well, making distance felt is something that's tricky it's something we struggle a lot with on the show honestly um how to make time and distance feel like they have passed and you know but a really good way to do it is with description Mm -hmm. you know describing that you're in a very different place now where even though it was only a minute ago you're in the the jungle now you're talking about how the mountains are seeing their first snow and you can you can smell the bite in the cold air that you know it's a little below freezing now, you know, that there's nothing green mm-hmm. around. And that happens in the show. We yeah. land and we're on a different type of planet. We know we're somewhere else. This is a space show. We have space travel. And it's done in a way that you should do it in Dungeons and Dragons, which is you just describe the travel and you're done. Travel is boring. Oh, yeah, like long, like long travel? Yeah. Yeah, travel usually is boring. There's no reason to, like, say, okay, this travel is going to take eight days. Let's describe eight days of travel. No, you go to hyperdrive, you do space travel, you arrive at the planet. And broadly, I also think that, you know, going a little bit off topic, I feel like a lot of modern sci-fi and, you know, just blockbuster movies, you know, Star Wars, Marvel, Star Trek, they've lost the techniques of making distance and time felt it always feels like everything in those worlds is a five minute you know space flight away from everything else 
So, you know, people can be anywhere and then they can suddenly be wherever the story needs them to be. And while that's sort of a necessity for doing something with as many characters as we've gotten up to in these, in these uh, films now, it doesn't build the epic feel. It sort of robs the universe of its scale. Obviously, the opposite is like The Lord of the Rings, where it takes them three friggin' books, basically, to get across to where they're going. And you feel the distance and the time pass. You can uh, you can look at Game of Thrones and see a good example turn into a bad example. Because in Game of Thrones, mm. in the start, travel takes fucking forever. And it you can make it, it feels like a long time. But then they start to ignore travel. They start to lose those scenes. And then in the later scenes, Peter Baelish just appears in the north, Five minutes later, he appears in the south. Oh, I've heard about that. And it's just like distance does not matter anymore. So there's like a there's like a happy medium that you want, right? I you know, I think the way the Mandalorian does it, where they, you know, the space flight is, you know, flying between planets, it only takes, you know, a few seconds of film, but it shows leaving one planet, arriving at the next planet, you get a little flyover of what the planet, you know, terrain looks like. It looks different. And then with this trip in the in the jawa crawler it's like they go over different landscapes they're going through valleys and stuff and you know the mandalorians inside the cockpit and they you know occasionally the jawas turn him and go it doesn't look like a very far distance but it feels like one and that's what's important so we eventually after all this travel on the crawler we get to where the egg is and it's a fight with this mud horn yeah, giant is a big rhino this thing. Giant rhino guy. I thought it was a really fun scene of just combat that the Mandalorian fails at. He gets his ass kicked. Right. I thought that was all really good. You know, it's like because uh, he start he goes down into the cave, but then he gets kicked out into basically what is an arena, which it's like okay, yeah, they're there. The DM is uh, forcing the venue. Mm-hmm. And it's a tough battle, and it's one the Mandalorian could have easily died, but he didn't. And the tool right. you know, to take from this scene is death is boring. Death is boring, and, all, and also um, a good way to freak your, your players out is to have their, their gimmicks not work. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, his gun jams. His gun jams, his cool gun that people talk about like, damn, that's a cool gun. You know, you've made him feel badass by talking about that gun, and then that's jammed. Or like his grapple hook, like he tries the grapple, but it just results in him being dragged around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, you can make combat feel a lot more serious if the tricks they use all the time to win combat easily no longer work. Whenever I look at the monster manual and see those immunities, I always think, mm, that's not that's not fair to the players. And that's right, it isn't. You should be using those so that it gets players out of their comfort zone. The other thing I thought was, was good about this uh, fight is that it's super muddy. And, you know, because there's not, there's, it's an open, it's open terrain, right? It's just this open, uh, you know, pit. And that's like a boring setting potentially. But because it's really muddy, it adds that extra detail. You know, if you're, you're setting it up in game, you could require, you know, dexterity checks mm -hmm. or, you know, visibility issues it just it's a very simple environmental change that can make for more dynamic combat yeah because yeah because having something where you need to make a dex check at the end of every round or fall that's pretty interesting and that that's a lot more interesting than just an empty space 
Yeah, and it and, and it not not only does it affect the mechanics well, but it also makes it visceral. Mm-hmm. It makes it a you know a more mm-hmm. memorable experience. Yeah, you, it's muddy and sticky and wet. Yeah. Now let's get to the end of the combat because the Mandalorian wins, but he didn't really do it. The baby Yoda did. Yeah, he gets his ass kicked. He's about to die. Mandalorian's about to die. Yeah, and he's saved by the baby Yoda. And as I said, death is boring, right? We could have easily had the Mandalorian just die there. Baby Yoda is abandoned. Well, Story's Dis- over. Dis- Disney couldn't have the Mandalorian die there. Disney couldn't have it. That- yeah, and it's like... I-, I hate it when players die at the table. And that's not to say you should cushion everything. It's just there are way more interesting things to happen than death right in this one well you can have a cool death yeah but but... like you can also have a death where they just rolled bad a few times i i still don't like it it's the end it's a it's an unflattering end to the story right it's not satisfying it's it's much more satisfying to have a good conclusion to a character and sure if it's the final fight sure they can die and that's the conclusion but there's a lot of narrative tools that you can use instead of having death, right? They can lose the fight and they can be captured. They can be just knocked unconscious. They can have their stuff stolen. Or you can have Baby Yoda bust out force powers and save the party. Right, so what are the, what are the implications of him being saved by Baby Yoda? Well, in terms of the story, it makes Baby Yoda a lot more like important. Like before it was just mm-hmm. like, it's just a baby. Now it's like, wow, this is a baby that has superpowers. It's like a danger. The MacGuffin is now dangerous, and also, and also, it kind of puts him in Baby Yoda's debt. Yeah, it kind of does. Okay, so you want to talk? You want to talk about the egg party? Yeah. So we get the egg. All this effort to get the egg. He almost dies for the egg. The Jawas. The Jawas. They drove. They they did a road trip to get to this thing. And they just bust it open and start eating with their bare hands. Yeah. Now. Yeah, I thought that was good. I thought it's, that was good because it's great. You know, it's a yeah. Jawas are kind of trashy, you know? It's the <laughs> simplest tool we can digest from this entire show, which is challenging expectations. It's a great comedy tool, right? right. The, the the players have done this big adventure to get this thing that Wizards is just like, oh, thank you, I needed a new toothbrush. Yeah, it, it yeah, because we've only in Star Wars really ever seen the angle that Jawas are you know theft merchants i assumed they were going to sell the egg i thought they were like "Ooh, it's this valuable faberge egg or whatever or nope. whatever they just want a snack yeah add some add some color yeah some sort of de- delicious disgusting snack yeah so you know what it reminded me of hmm? also was it was just like you know you talk about the wizard and his toothbrush but it, it to me it was just like a lot of parties where they get the big reward the big magic item or whatever and they do something really stupid with it yeah you know you're right i want to you know oh we got we have the the you know we have the the vase that pours water forever i want to make a hot tub i want i want to go surfing yeah yeah that makes yep you know. I see it all the time you know who you are so we got the egg we get the parts back and now we're at the conclusion part of this story and i really like this part because we can finish the quest right yeah this this episode is so good this is best episode so far. absolutely the ship gets put back together we have this sweet conversation between the mandalorian and the guide npc mm-hmm. he literally says you've brought peace back to this planet it's quest complete and we can feel mm-hmm. like mini quest yeah, yeah this mini quest is complete and we can feel like we can leave 
and we don't have to come back because we don't have we don't need to come back right yeah and then at the at the very end the guide npc the old, what is the old man's name anyways does he have a he name he does have a name he has a name doesn't he he is kuil and he is an unat okay well i don't think that he ever said he does it. not say it um, they hardly say names he does in this show it. They don't even ask for names. Yeah, so the old man, Kuil, old man, old guide NPC man, at the very end, when he's saying goodbye, he twists the knife a little bit and says, I hope Baby Yoda survives, and he brings you a great reward. Because now he's started to plant the seeds of guilt. Mm -hmm. And this guilt is so important. Which is basically what the entirety of the next episode is about. So do we want do we want to dive into that? Yeah, and uh, let's start with we are given a call to action. Mandal- the Mandalorian is having a conversation with a hologram. Carl Weathers gives him a hologram call to remind him that he's bounty hunting. It's, it's great to start here and give your player, the Mandalorian, direction of where to go with the next arc of the session. This is sort of assuming that uh, chapter three slash, you know, episode three is the beginning of a fresh Dungeons and Dragons session. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know how many there would have been. Episode one might be two sessions. Yeah. Yeah, it'd probably be two, I'd say, maybe even three. I'd say two or three sessions per episode. Yeah, something like that. So coming in, get reminded what you're doing. Yeah, because it's uh, D&D is all about communication and collaboration. You shouldn't be a secret of GM. You shouldn't show everything, but just direction and motivation you should absolutely show. Okay, so he gets he gets his uh, iPhone notification that says, "Reminder: Drop off Baby Yoda mm-hmm. at at Werner Herzog's Imperial Clubhouse." Yep. And so he goes to do that, and this is the completion of the big job, right? So mm-hmm. this is like the big goal. Yeah. Coming to a close here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it's the end of the big goal. We get to quest complete, a big quest complete. We return the baby to the mm-hmm. Empire, and we start. The guilt arc. Emotional manipulation. Now, as the audience, and probably as the GM, everyone's hoping and expecting that the Mandalorian would not give Baby Yoda to the Empire, because that's, you know, that's what an evil person would do. But he does it anyway, because he's a bounty hunter. We see so many tools applied in the show to guilt our player into getting that Baby Yoda back. We have the guilt arc, and it's done in several ways. We have... Him getting this huge amount of Beskar, a ridiculous amount, enough to get an right. entire got, suit of armor. Right. So he's got, he takes all this money and then it gets converted into sweet items. But he's he's pushed to feel bad the entire time. Right. The, the other Mandalorians shame him for getting it from the Empire. And then when he's back into the bar, he's hailed as a success. Like, you did a great job. You just sent a baby to the Empire. Yeah, you're king of the bounty hunters. So the armor, the payment, he can't feel good about the payment. Uh, he can't feel good about his reputation. Um, and then the final knife that twists in his heart. He's in the ship. And the little ball on the shifter is gone. Because Yeah, we have that scene earlier where Baby Yoda's goofing around because, you know, Baby Yoda's a child. And, you know, screws one of the balls off of just one of the levers that's classic filmmaking trick but you can do it also in dungeons and dragons i'll let you in on a little secret which is that things that you bring back things that you circle back to people think you planned all along and things that you never really get back to people just forget about yeah 
the, the tool here is not to plan everything. The tool is to have a better memory than your players. Yeah, exactly. This actually happens a, a lot in the way we do our sessions, which we sort of do like Dungeons and Dragons movies instead of TV shows. You know, The Mandalorian is more like a traditional campaign because it's, you know, there's a long quest. And the big thing is, you know, we, we obviously, we improvise our whole story. So a lot of the stuff we're talking about, you know, is, is planning and we don't do any of that. But this tool right here is absolutely critical because it, you, if you have enough things happening, then you have those elements to pull from. So you in, introduce enough characters, have enough you know, little occurrences that later on, if you just remember them, an opportunity will arise to make one meaningful and say that's what was happening this whole time or to remind the players of uh, a moment that they had. To, to keep good notes and always look for connections back. That's the best way to make mm -hmm. your game seem like narrative genius, that everything is interwoven together. No, it's just you just just remember stuff and you bring it back. Yeah, because, you know, there's there's the scene with the ball, but it could have been something else. It could have been, uh, you know, he sees a doorway that reminds him of Baby Yoda's little floating stroller, you know. Or it could have been uh, sees, you know, something else with big ears like Baby Yoda. You have enough details and you can find an opportunity to bring it back and give it meaning. And so now the guilt trip is complete. He feels so bad about his decision that he has to go back. And he's right on the cusp of turning around. He's yeah, about to take the off. last possible moment. Sh engines are up and he shuts it all down, turns around, and he goes straight back to that hidden Empire base. And then we have a whole, we pretty much have another whole combat encounter. This little fortress that's in the middle of a city. Yeah. The thing that uh, I want to talk about from this scene is the, the Mandalorian is incredibly unstealthy. You know, he's wearing chrome armor and walking around in a cape, just kind of just walks straight into rooms. Um, sneaking is like a huge part of the Star Wars universe. Going all the way back to, you know, A New Hope, that's what so much of that first movie is based on, you know, sneaking around the Death Star. And in this case, the Mandalorian is very much like the player in a D&D &D session because the DM, because, you know, if your characters want to like intentionally sneak, then they can do that, but they're probably not going to. And you can, at your convenience, have them be noticed. So you can let them slip by if that works better, or you can have a guard spot them or have them bump right into a guard or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's a uh, use it whenever you can. Now... When we're in the middle of this big combat encounter, shooting stormtroopers left and right. Yeah, just shooting dudes, running behind boxes, yeah. We we come up to a non-combat encounter to kind of break up the flow of combat. And we have an NPC that's willing to talk, or that would prefer to talk instead of fight. Yeah, the, the, the nervous doctor, mm -hmm. the nervous generic doctor character, who's, like, experimenting on Baby Yoda, maybe. Yeah, and we get, we get narrative and exposition from dialogue here instead of having to like read through journals or like pick up and like interrogate someone we have someone who is willing to talk it's a great right. way to provide information in a in a believable way i tend to do this in that right. in every dungeon i make i have like an npc who they can talk to bring out do what they want gives them a, a moral decision of do they want to keep him alive do they want to kill him 
it's a great way of like right. adding depth to just a simple dungeon right you know uh yeah uh, uh rindle comes to mind from our uh kobold mines yeah that adventure could have just been killing all the kobolds and not talking to them at all and if that were the case it'd be a much staler story it would just simply be a dungeon crawl yeah, so we have a lot of combat, a lot of sneaking around. One non-combat, there is one thing that I really want to point out with this combat, is like when you said he's sneaking around, he is suddenly surrounded by stormtroopers. And earlier in the episode, he was giving this new weapon, the Whistling Birds. Right, right, with his new armor. Mm-hmm. And he's given this opportunity to use it, and it gives that item purpose. So... Yeah. The lesson here, if you give your players a magic item, you have to give them an opportunity to use it. Otherwise, you just didn't give them anything at all. And the cool thing is, you know, they do it in the same episode here, but in a long-term campaign, you know, you can have you, you can have them sit on it for several sessions and then finally like now is the time to use the spider shoes. Mhm. Although, let's be honest, spider shoes, that's a bad example because they're useful basically always. It'd be like a foldable boat. Yeah. G- foldable give boat. your players foldable a foldable boat. boat in a desert. It's like, great. Yeah. What do I do with this? But then later on, they find it. that river and it's like, ah, oh, shit, we got a foldable boat. We're set. Yeah. Right, so next is the only time so far in The Mandalorian, is as of now, there are five episodes out and only one scene has ever cut away from the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. And it's in episode three here where they cut away to the bar and show all the other bounty hunters with the blinking fobs, letting the audience know that everybody's going to be coming for him. Mm-hmm. And this, 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 you could think of the audience as the same as the player within this regard because it's kind of communicating that, like, great, you've got the baby, but now... There's going to be bounty hunters after you. It's a way of making future encounters seem fair. Because if you, right. you did not communicate that there will be a threat later, it could feel unfair if, like, I'm surrounded by bounty hunters. I didn't know that this was going to happen. By having this scene, you, 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 you prepare your player for it. And the Mandalorian's not present in this scene in the show, you know, but... If you were doing this as a campaign, you could say, "Oh, you know, you you see a f- you, you look through one of the windows and you see across the street to the bar where everybody's got a blinking fob." Like you could do it that way and also have the party present for it. Yeah. And then he's surrounded by bounty hunters. They all yeah, want yeah. the baby Yoda. This is this is a yeah, this is another goblin fight though, basically. Yeah, yeah. Except for Carl Weathers. Yeah, we have one important NPC, and we get to see a consequence through relationship. Actions should have consequences. Your players are doing things, players are performing actions, they should feel like they matter through consequences. And this consequence is through a relationship gone bad. Our, yeah. con- oh, is it Cargo Pants? Grief Carga. <laughs> His relationship with the Mandalorian has changed. He's now an enemy of the Mandalorian. And we have to show that. Yeah. And that's always, you know, both in D&D and in, and in film and in, you know, plays and novels and everything. The, because we're, we're social animals. And so the way you're going to feel a consequence the most is through relationships between characters. We don't really care that the Mandalorian is now on the bad side of all the bounty hunters because we don't know who any of them are. None of them have names. None of them have personalities. They're just a different kind of goblin like was guarding Baby Yoda back on the other planet. 
So what we care about is Carl Weathers. Now we're now we're against Carl Weathers. We liked Carl Weathers. We lost a friend. That's the most powerful thing. Because in the end, it is the relationships with characters in the world that carry the most weight. Absolutely. And then we've reached the yeah. end of the episode, and he the flies end? off. Yeah. We're- with the baby Yoda. He's a fugitive now mm-hmm. and and it's we've so we've completed the arc these first 3 episodes laid out where we start with the the Mandalorian just being a bounty hunter and now he has made choices and has become the character we all wanted him to be all along. Absolutely. There's actually this there's a really good meme I saw about this which it's uh some we'll post it somewhere but uh, it's it's like the Drake format like nah but then, yeah, on the next panel. So, but it's like Baby Yoda's. And the nah panel it says, The Mandalorian is about a bounty hunter who must flee to survive after a job goes bad. And it's like, eh. And then the next one is like, The Mandalorian is about a single father who must struggle against unemployment, homelessness, and a criminal past to build a better life for him and his adoptive son. And it's like, yeah. That's that's a better story. Yeah, we go in this simple three episode arc. We go from a simple character to to a complex one. Yeah, I mean he's not he's not he's not a the Count of Monte Cristo, but no, he's, no. he's he's certainly a worthy D and D character. Yeah, and I just you can take these simple characters that players bring to the table and add complexity through gameplay. You don't need complicated right. backstories. You can get more complicated through gameplay. All right. Well, yeah. So that I think that wraps up this first episode, the first of our media analysis bonus pods. So we'll probably do one more episode, maybe, maybe two. We'll see. But those should be out early in 2020. It's a new decade. My goodness. I hope that you have gotten some tools to add to your toolbox, and you have enjoyed hearing us analyze this cool show. Great. Well, we'll we'll see you all in our metaphorical collective living room for the next installment of The Mandalorian. And until then, remember, have fun.